Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's episode is with my friend, Dr. Gil Headley. Dr. Gil Headley is a doctor of philosophy, doctorate in theological ethics. He is probably the world's foremost expert on all things fascia, connective tissue, and dissection. A lot of the information that we understand in the realms of the interconnections among fascial tissues and anatomy trains and connective tissues and things of the sort, a lot of that has been influenced by Gil's work over the years, and he knows more about the human body and its interrelationship with the mind, I think, as, as much or more than probably any other person on the planet. So I'm really excited to get to share conversations with him on here. This conversation is essentially about the things that you would think it would be about. It gets into spirit, gets into mind, gets into body, gets into postural patterns, personality, the meaning of postural patterns, really meaningful stuff, also limiting beliefs, victimhood, really deeply meaningful conversation. And I think you guys are going to get a ton of value from it. I want to thank you guys for leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, where if you're listening to this, I want to read a review from Jessa Fu. Jessa Fu, imagine that's a girl. She says, love, exclamation point. Really love the topics on this podcast. Daily movement is so important to overall health. His book is very good as well. Imagine they're referring to the Align Method. I hope. Thank you very much. And practical, easy tips to keep moving as you age. That is five-star review from Jessa Fu. Thank you very much. It's incredibly meaningful. I read all the reviews and it's a great, easy, simple, free 22 second way to support this podcast. That is it. That is all. Thank you for subscribing to this to continue getting these episodes each week. Hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go. So I'm curious where memory exists in the body. So it's really hard to define memory being like one specific part of the brain or, you know, maybe you get, it seems like a, like somewhat of a fractal. Bells and whistles are fine. Uh, it seems like it's a fractal distribu- distributed throughout the whole system. And perhaps maybe, I don't know if you got weird enough, maybe even outside of like this specific skin bag body. I um, think that's very legitimate. Yeah. Uh, but then, it, so where it gets scientifically relevant outside of people having like cathartic releases from someone digging an elbow into their hips or their abdomen or something, but would be organ transplant memories, you know, so you get the mm. heart or something, some organ from somebody else. And suddenly you have an affinity towards baseball, you know, or you yeah. kind of start having these reoccurring memories of, of someone else's past. It's like someone else is in you. Yeah. And I just, I just wonder, what do you think about all that? I think it's, well, I know that phenomenon is for real and anyone in the transplant business knows it. And so then the question is, what what is that? And, you know, there are people like Michelle Small, right, who talk about, you know, geopathic zones as like the energy matrices that form when we live in a place and make our own impression upon it. Now, I can't imagine a place we live more intimately than our, in our bodies. And so we might say that the garden of our bodies, in her terms, would then form a geopathic zone. And if you were to take some of it and put it somewhere else, it would be like transplanting a pattern, uh, a pattern which maybe could be, could be read by the new system. Um, but also, I mean, someone like my favorite, one of my favorite teachers, Stiliano Sateshlis, or also known as Doskalos, would say something like, you know, pain, you know, isn't, it's not in your nerves, it's not in your nerves, it's in your feeling giving ether. Right. So there are plenty of teachers who would place these kind of experiences, whether pain or memory or memory of pain or 
outside of our, our physicality. And the physicality then would only be maybe a trigger or echo of, of, of a more energetic phenomenon that we tend not to pay so much attention to because we're too busy staring at the footprints and missing Bigfoot altogether. So how's your relationship to pain evolved over the years? Well, I think we talked about this once before, yeah, which did. is that I have a pretty intimate <laughs> relationship to pain. And I'd say what has evolved is that, you know, I still have some pretty impressive pain in my life. And what's maybe evolved is my emotional relationship to it. Because hmm. uh, for the longest time, I was just collapsed by it. And then I was like, oh, well, you can actually dis get, take some charge out of pain because part of pain is the charge surrounding the fact that you're in pain, the emotional charge around it. Right. So you can kind of go into a very non-emotional place and as a way to ride out the pain rather than exacerbating it if it's not something that's being diminished by whatever strategies you're using. And so you can kind of get a little uh, get a little zen about your pain. Um, but those people who say things like, oh, pain and pleasure, they're just all the same and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> no, I'll take an orgasm over a mig migraine any day, you know, like, and, I, and I've never turned one into the other. And I've tried, <laughs> trust me, I've tried everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have I have uh, whacked my way through a migraine and gotten nowhere with that. <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe there are more <laughs> esoteric techniques, but you know, actually, my headaches aren't migraines; they're they're cluster headaches, and that's a that's kind of a ugly the ugly cousin of migraines. Yeah, but people never heard of those, so I, I talk about migraines. But something something that I I find interesting is how, and I want to keep keep kind of poking around at pain a little bit, but. Um, the how our postural patterns the way that we you know, like hold ourselves in daily life mm -hmm. um I, I feel like it's it's like an outward expression of an inner story you know and so Absolutely. i know that you yeah, I, I know I you've agree. gone through various different iterations of that being like monk like you know and, mm -hmm. and kind of getting the memo that that is the path towards maybe liberation was your mindset at that time you know or maybe a, maybe like a you go into like a gym gold's gym you gotta have like a swall archetype <laughs> yeah. you know and extend the chest which is essentially just like a virtue signaling peacocking type thing and so there's nothing that's right or or wrong about any of that it's just they're just tools but when yeah they're expressions yeah but then being able to parse out and differentiate like what is the tool and what am i and am i able to to be able to freely flip through those various different pages mm. or am i kind of you know stuck and that's and then and then when you do get proverbially stuck in that in that page or that postural expression then it starts to actually does become you it's kind of like the mask the jim oh, carrey oh yeah and then it reaffirms itself and then you're like well what else could possibly be yeah method acting is dangerous now the the um, and, and effective and effective we believe it because it's yeah. real uh, at, a, at a level yeah. but someone like carlos castaneda's stories about you know being assigned to go to a place by don juan and hang out with some old man in some cottage somewhere out in the desert and then after two weeks you know, some dude comes prancing in and he's like, who are you? And he's like, what do you mean? Who am I? I've been with you all along because he was, you know, playing an old man. Right. You know, but assuming that posture and the posture comes with it, a system of belief on the part of people who witness it about what they're seeing. And so we can then have our own self confirmed by our environment. You know, if you walk around like an old man, everyone will treat you like one. Yep. Uh, and I, I, you know, Rachel and I will be walking along and and she'll be like, posture B, posture B, because <laughs> you know? like, 
all the imposter A, which is, you know, burdened by the world, <laughs> suffering, long suffering, you know, contracted posture. And then posture B is just like letting that shit go and being, you know, in my fullness. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, you know, as surely as we can, I, can, I know I can switch back and forth between the two at the drop of a hat. I can also forget to switch <laughs> and remain in, in posture A yeah. uh, for a long period of time. You know, I'm not it, talking hours, I'm talking months. Yeah. And, and it comes into uh, a question that I've had because I, I think I've historically kind of been banging at the idea that we, you know, need to move more. We're like, you know, s- s- culture of sedentarism. Mm. And that's a big problem. But then there's also, it's like, well, it's not really just that there's nothing wrong with resting. You know, if you go to a hunter gatherer tribe, which I've never really been to one, but I've read about them, they on average, at least the Hatsa specifically, will be in resting positions for nine to 10 hours a day. Wow. So it's it's, it's clearly no internet there. (laughs) Right. Well, they're doing doing stuff. They're like resting and doing stuff. They're not just sitting aimlessly doing nothing, like staring into a phone. Maybe, maybe at this point, maybe maybe some more. Um, But they're, you know, they're kneeling and they're Mm. crossing their legs. They essentially look like, you know, kids, like kids will yeah. squat and kneel mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. go through those various different positions. Mm. But it, the idea of movement, I think, is also a subjective term. And, mm. you know, if you sit for a while, like I'm sure you've had some experience with extended meditations, there could be a lot of movement in just stillness. Mm. And so I wonder if your perception of the the term or the concept of movement, like what is, how does that strike you? What is movement? And we don't need to be excessively, you know, deep or philosophical or metaphysical or we can or whatever. Well, I kind of like, I kind of like don't tear a page out of Baral's book, uh, Jean-Pierre Baral. And, yeah. and he talks about, you know, mobility and motility specifically of the organs. But I think we can apply that to life in general, where the mobility of the organ is literally it's transit through space. So the kidney is going up and down in response to the filling of the lungs, you know, or the the liver rolling forward towards the navel. That's its mobility. And then its motility is kind of its intrinsic inner life where the liver is processing chemicals and blood is moving through it and Mm -hmm. out of the fenestration capillaries over the the parenchyma of the liver and then processes are happening and all that is movement too but it's maybe that movement that you describe happens when you're in meditation maybe when we're in meditation or something we're experiencing the the, the motility of the of the being yeah um and rather than necessarily the the get up and go mobility yeah and also the, like the, the unbinding of previously what seemed to be you know dehydrated agglomerated stuck rigid Mm. you know all Mm -hmm. the words joints or tissue as a product of just being seemingly still Mm. it's very very you know it's it's interesting well because (laughs) yeah because if you're dissolving beliefs you know if you're dissolving thought patterns those are the primary movers or freezers not in a temperature sense, but in a movement sense. (laughs) (laughs) The primary movers and stillness inducers of our tissues, Yeah. right? Because if you don't want something, you're not going to try and go get it. And that's the basis of all movement, right? Is desire. And I think, and life, you know, there's some combination of desire and life. Now, life moves you too, not necessarily in the way that you desire, but some some play between those two is always, to my mind, the, the prime primary mover. Yeah. Do you think that there's 
an inherent friction in the way that the modern humans as a, as a, a generalized like whole exist in their minds and their bodies? Do you think that culturally we're at Oh a, a, yeah. Yeah, we're we're at odds. We're we're at odds rather than at rhythms <laughs> with ourselves. <laughs> you know? We we we're at, we're in like a constant battle between the time and place personality and homeostasis, which is like the soul, you know, that committed to embody. And then we literally fight it from, from day one, like just going with the flow of life. We're, we're, we're so resistant that we actually, you know, canalize our bloodstream and build crusty canals inside of ourselves and, and it, in an attempt to restore the body and keep it on the planet longer, you know, instead of just, you know, undulating with the inner jellyfish and moving through life and letting the spirit blow where it will. Why do you think that is? I question sometimes, even when something, you know, really but seemingly on the face seems quite terrible. I always wonder what like the higher intelligence of that is or what's like, is there some all-knowing intelligence that's kind of driving the whole? And if someone is a greedy asshole or someone feels the need to conquer some land from a 30,000 foot view, there's there's some semblance of sense or reasoning to it. But Absolutely. Want- that's spoken to just in our own bodies. It's just a perspective. In other words, right now, there are cells being dismembered and aptosed and yeah. taken apart and run through the spleen to be recycled into something else. And we're not miffed about it. We're not sad that cells are sloughing off and dying and there are, you know, cataclysms happening within our form constantly in order to keep the life process going. If, if we stopped all that and said, oh, no, we have to save every red blood cell from right. from ever dying or something like that. We need to increase its lifespan and be like ridiculous. Why? Some live short, some live long. They're doing their job. But so big picture on Earth, you know, it's a big organism that's cycling through and and so just perspective i mean you might think god is cold because the death is allowed on the planet but it, the, the perspective like you said at thirty thousand feet isn't isn't so dark i wonder because you have a background in, in theology and ethics and and things of the sort so i wonder a question that i ask a lot to, to other folks myself is one the utility of shame mm. and the origin of shame because you can see shame something that pops up around you know whatever maybe age four or five, you know, you, you need to be a part of a culture and people need to kind of tell you what's right or wrong for you to Mm -hmm. even have enough theory of mind or awareness to, to have a sense of like, what, what, what could there possibly be to be ashamed of? Mm. And then the potential of leveraging that shame for someone else's, you know, garnering power power for someone else that comes into like the whole puritanical conversation or, Mm. you know, so I wonder, I feel like you've stewed on that idea. (laughs) I've stewed in my shame for decades. Yeah, me too, man. I'm ashamed. That's that's neurosis (laughs) though, right? In other words, shame, I like shame and guilt. I like to say are pretenders to the throne of responsibility. So, you know, you can lie around (laughs) guilty and and ashamed, or you can, or you can make a judgment about whether whatever boundary you cross for which you're experiencing shame is a legitimate one, in which case the shame is useful because it's marking the territory of a legitimate boundary. Or you might find that that shame and guilt is just a phantasm. And that if you took responsibility for having crossed such a such a boundary or another and said, yeah, I crossed that. I did it mindfully. I did it on purpose and I'm good to go. Then then there's no shame. Yeah. It seems like shame in the body, say like a common one would be around, you know, like sexual organs. Yeah. You know, your penis is too small or too big or 
too circumcised or too uncircumcised or you yeah. know your vaginas you know like whatever the thing is or yeah it's got you have an anus it's awkward maybe old shape or right. something <laughs> body shame is incredible i'm not sure that's um, among shames i would say that's one of the least legitimate ones that's a, an imposition i would say mm-hmm. um now how you use your body that's a whole nother another thing you know that that can get a little sketchier because that's going to be in in a relationship but as far as i'm concerned your body is a gift it's good it was given to you you didn't ask for it and so it's a gift and if if the powers of the universe have sought fit to give you that that gift then there could be nothing ill or untoward about it yeah from stem to stern and that's something that i've learned in my own growth as a person relative to my upbringing as a devout catholic uh, roman catholic upbringing where the sim symbolism and the movement pattern of the culture I was raised in was very limited and body negative. And I abjure all of that at this point, you know. And how does shame show up in the body? What's like the, the material, oh materialized the, form of shame? Yeah, so many ways. But I mean, just look at if, if you just watched my pelvis moving through space, <laughs> you know, 25 <laughs> or 30 years ago, you'd be like, that, it was like the very, the very definition of shame or, you know, the stillness and, and the, the holding, you know, right. of my whole body. God forbid that I should feel something good um, running through it. And if I did, that it was shameful. So it comes, it's a very internalized thing where pleasure itself is cause for shame. Mm. Uh, right. And so that's a pain um, supporting culture, right, where no one's going to no one will shame you for being in pain, but they will shame you for being in pleasure. You'll shame yourself. You internalize that because the message, you know, when you have a suffering God crucified on a cross, you know, that's salvific, right? Then pain is is an elevated status. It's, it's sanctified, actually. And so any faint or movement towards pleasure is, is seen as hedonism with it even if it only amounts to leaving pain behind, right? And so so that is a, an imbalance, a tra- tragically imbalanced thing that results in certain kinds of posture and movement and self-limitation and truncation of pleasure that's native to the body, uh, that's native to the gift. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like a, it's like a, like a Stockholm syndrome of sorts. Yeah, yeah. And, but the, yeah. so with the Stockholm syndrome, there's like a captor. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that I always like. When anytime someone says they or them, you know, yeah. or like the deep state, you know, or like, and I'm, I'm kind of like, what, like, who exactly are you referring to? And I wonder if maybe ultimately, if you turn that back, it's like, maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's like, like, who is the captor? Yeah, it's always, you're the savior and the perpetrator and the victim all, all, all together. When you step out of the tiny little person and you realize you're playing all the roles and, and you can say, well, I don't want to play any of those roles. What else is there besides playing the role of savior, perpetrator and and uh and victim yeah yeah because we swap out between those three all day long yeah it seems like it it could be for me at least it could be terrifying or at least uncomfortable to relax because the belief is that if you do allow that spaciousness or ease or you know just a sensation of safety Mm. because that's at some deeper level maybe at certain if there's you know there's different like layers of the the human maybe the top five layers or whatever model you have like they're they're kind of good but if you get in maybe layer two there's Mm. a contraction there Mm. and a person never got the the permission or the 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 safety or the container to be held and supported in that place to actually feel resourced enough to to relax and that comes into manual therapy you know Mm. sometimes if someone's holding some pattern 
Um, both of us have a background with, with rolfing, structural integration, yeah. you know, things of that sort. Sometimes you can take them deeper into that pattern, you know, and actually you know, hold it even shorter than what they're accustomed to mm-hmm. and just hold it for them. And suddenly mm-hmm. their nervous system does some unwinding mechanism mm-hmm. of some sort that you could probably explain better than I could to allow them to actually create space or want to create space in that place. Yeah, it's like in a nervous system reset because the whole system is hypertonic in a, in a kind of in a shocky, permanent way. And I, I can say for myself, I don't know, maybe it was, I, I think I rested for the first time in 2017 in a park in LA on mushrooms. Hmm. And I didn't take a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. I was, it was a day off from my headaches and I had heard that psilocybin could help cluster headache sufferers. And so I gave it a shot and I found myself just lying in the grass in a park with my friend and, uh, who was kind of my guardian for the experience. And I was so moved, you know, at an emotional level by what I was experiencing, which I instantly identified as rest. And I, I couldn't remember feeling that. And it was overwhelmingly emotional to experience rest. Um, not, not for nine hours a day, like a Hansa tribesman, but like literally for a half an hour in, in 30 years or something, right? Yeah. Or, four, or 40, you know, to, or longer to just like, oh my God, this is what rest feels like. I'd forgotten, you know, from my state of hypervigilant, anxious, pained, shamed beingness. You know, I think that's sickening, literally. I think we, we injure ourselves with those states or those states represent a kind of place that's not comfortable. That's not the right word, but normal for, for us. And then our, our culture kind of feeds us that incessantly because you can get more taxes out of <laughs> restless people than, <laughs> than restful people. Do you think it matters having a definition of the origination of the uh, like inciting trauma or contraction? I mean, not to put psychology aside, I think there's a lot of ways to enter the circle, but I don't think you necessarily have to put words on it to have a shift. Not, not really. Now, that having been said, you know, sometimes we can identify momentous events in our lives, whether they be, you know, experience, whatever the experience, it might have been an aha moment that was a mistake. You know, we're like, oh, I realize that I'm a piece of shit. Like, you know, and then you move on from there for the rest of your life. Like, that's a mistake. It's not true. But we, we can still orient ourselves that way. So, we, but and maybe lo- realizing, no, I'm, I'm actually good in, in an essential way can transform that attitude. Uh, and as a, like a strong medicine can induce a habit, it can, you know, induce a habit of rest in a system that's been made anxious for whatever reason. But I don't think you actually have to know to make progress. I don't know. Maybe a psychologist would argue, argue with that, or maybe someone who's doing kind of therapy where we're looking, like we're looking for the the primary lesion, say, in maybe osteopathic techniques or, or something where you like you can tinker with all the things around the primary lesion all day long. But once you touch that one point that's like the seed, then all, all the branches from that seed are are then adjusted and and there are I know there are chiropractors who just work on the you know the atlas you know that and and so there are folks who who do take it on that way 
And so whether it be a psychologist pinpointing the moment when your mother said X, Y, or Z, or when the bully pushed you on the playground and, 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 and changed something in you, or when you got hit by a train or, or whatever, or maybe the, you know, the, the physical practitioner who finds that primary lesion, I'm not, not wanting to say that's not super amazing because <laughs> miracles come from those, those moments. But I'm also not necessarily thinking you have to be on a quest to find that thing or else you can't be well. I think that's a mistake, too, because because, um, you can actually um, drop it all just from believing that you can and make very quick progress. Uh, You know, go to a Joe Dispenza a week and, you know, people are like dropping paralysis and things without actually having to know why or how, because they they are consciously and intentionally resetting, resetting themselves. Mushrooms can do it, but also an intention can do it. You don't need mushrooms either. You know, in other words, you don't need anything because you're already meaningful. (laughs) We're I think we're our nature is that we're meaningful beings and that those that those meanings can be, you know, you can mistake the meanings. But when you get to the actual meaning of our being, it's so loving and good that uh, we stop worrying so much. And you could say to that immediately, like, well, what about all the sociopaths out there? <laughs> I guess there's plenty of them. And they, they tend to rise to the top because it's their nature to manipulate the goodness of people towards their ends. Well, you know, there's that too in the whole system. And, you know, it doesn't have to stop us from knowing who we are. I want to take a moment and share what has come to be my favorite pre-bed beverage. That is Organifi's Gold Rest and Relaxation. I will make a delicious coconut milk latte with this. It's so freaking good. I'll take a glass of coconut milk. I'll heat it up. I'll pour some of the Gold Rest and Relaxation blend in there. It's got all the ingredients you'd need for a deep, restorative night's rest. Uh, It's got magnesium. It's got reishi mushrooms, a whole blend of adaptogenic mushrooms. It has cinnamon bark and ginger and all the raw ingredients that you need to get your body to go into a deep, restful, restorative state. You can get yourself a discount by going over to Organifi.com slash align. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash align. You could also use align at checkout and that will give you a 10% discount on the stuff. They have a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't absolutely love it, doesn't make you sleep better, you don't find it to be delicious, then send it back. No worries. No questions asked. 100% money back guarantee. Organifi.com slash align. I recommend getting the gold for rest and relaxation. I wonder if there's something to that, that the general tendency for culture to want to tear down those at the top that culture ultimately was a part of their rise like the do you know what I'm saying? Like oftentimes when someone, so we're, we're rooting for someone, cheering them along, like, cool, you're amazing. You're the best. You're the best. And yeah. then we're waiting to cancel the person. Oh, yeah. And it feels so good and gratifying <laughs> to cancel that motherfucker. It's, it's, we're, 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 yeah, we're a cruel, a cruel mob. I mean, I, I wonder if, I wonder if there's some inherent skepticism in a tree that grows too, too high. Like if there's some, <laughs> if there's some defense mechanism in there that actually there could be some authenticity to. Yeah. We tend to, we tend to kill the, kill those who rise to the top. Yeah. And the ones that we don't manage to kill are set on killing us because <laughs> <So, laughs> only, only the good ones are killable. <laughs>
and, and the demons, the, the demons are, are the ones who rule the world, right? Jeez. Uh, what do you think about embryology in relation to the conversation of pain and self-awareness? And you can really dork out on that and, and come up with some pr- pretty interesting extrapolations of what's going on in the, in the body and the mind and perception and such. Yeah, get me started. You can't ask a question like that without having an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so in relation to, say, say going back to the, the origin of the contraction, or the, you know, the fear or the resistance or, you know, is there any, any value winding all the way back to like the a fetus? I, th- I think, I mean, if we, if we take away the judgment about contraction, expansion and contraction is the very pulse of life, right? So the friggin' universe is expanding and folks say at some point it'll collapse or whatever. I, I don't know if that's true or if it just expands infinitely. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, a cell, an orgasm, either way, they're pulsing. They're, if you had no tension, you'd have no discharge, right? You, so you can't, why do we judge the, the contraction so harshly? You know, it, it's part of the pulse of life and it can't be avoided. It's like you're in a body and you're sitting in meditation and you're in samadhi and you're expanded and one with the universe and all that. And at some point you're going to piss yourself. You know, you you just got to get up and go pee. You know, your bladder is going to be messing with you. And yeah, there's a couple examples of these people whose like hair grows into the tree behind them and they just become (laughs) whatever. But that's that's not really the path for most of us. It's it's more, uh, yeah, I think to tell you the truth, I think that if you and I were someone hit us with a magic peacock feather and turned us into, you know, gods of universes, right? We'd be like, oh, damn, I just I just blew out a tire on my universe there. I wiped out 400 million galaxies this morning by accident. And, and then you feel a little sad about yourself and think you're not a very good god. And <laughs> you go talk to your other gods, friends at a gods men's group or something. <laughs> One of the things I, I wanted to talk to you about was the difference between working with a cadaver and working with a, a you know a, a sentient body. Mm-hmm. And as I was a, a more like polarized question would be: To what degree have we been misled through our study of deceased bodies and two dimensional images? We've erred to the degree that we've not paid attention to the fact that we are only interpreters of the footprints. And that the footprints are not the beings, yeah. right? So, so people do that all the time. I I caution against it in my classes. I'm always saying, you know, this, we have to have an interpretive stance relative to the to the cadaver because look around the room, we're all moving, breathing beings, and this thing, this 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 diary, this footprint of a, of a being is just sitting here real still. And and so we have to look at what's changed in the colors and the textures and the movement and the and the and this being versus this being. There's certain beingness to a cadaver, but it's it's very different. And I see it I like this guy, what's his name? He's a New Jersey guy. He's a tracker from the Pine Barrens. You know who I'm talking about? Anyway. No. Type in Google tra- tracking Pine Barrens guy. He teaches like survival workshops and stuff like that. Anyway, very interesting guy. But he, you know, he looks at a broken twig and and a, an impression in the dirt on the ground, and and he can, you know, he can talk talk to you about the weight of that animal, what it was doing what it wanted. And once he figures out what it wanted, he can follow it much easier, right? Because he can want that thing with it and go go looking for it. And I feel it's not that di- different. And I was, you, you don't mistake a deer footprint for a deer, and you shouldn't mistake a human life's footprint in a dead body for a person. 
you know, and once you get clear on that, then you're a tracker and you don't mistake the model for the reality. Uh, and yet that hoof print is pointing to a deer. And if you read it right, you'll realize that it's pressed a little harder on its front hoof than it's on the right than on the left. And there might be a reason for that. Maybe it was injured on its right foot or, you know, maybe it had a burr under its armpit there. Right? You start asking questions about it. But so the, the model and the, the leftovers and the tracks can be incredibly valuable pointers that you'll never get to just glancing at, at the being because um, you can look more deeply. If you want to understand the being more deeply, you got to pay attention to the tracks that it leaves. And, and like it took me years to figure out that the dry gunk in between the muscle tissues was just a track of a, of a slippery membrane. Hmm. But there now, once you get it, now it's like, oh, now you don't mistake mistake it for something else. You're like, oh, that's pointing towards the movement and the life of that being as opposed to some pathology. And you learn to read the tracks better over time. And so, so then the dead become informants on the living rather than deceivers with respect to the beings. Yeah, the direction I was potentially allowing my mind to go was could all of the research into these two-dimensional models potentially let us further astray or, or deeper into like a, a disassociation from our I intrinsic think, experience, but you're, you're- I think they can. Yeah. I, I think they can, but they don't have to. Yeah. Just like Facebook, which sucks, can be used as a tool to lift people up and build community. That's what I try and do with it. Yeah. You know, but it can also be could be this addictive monster that destroys your self-esteem because you didn't get enough likes. You know, so, you know, it, it can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. You can use a hammer to hit a nail or to smash someone's brains out. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> in other words, it, it depends on how you use it, you know, what? Well, I mean, whether it becomes a horror, a tool of horror and, and mayhem or, or a tool of service, like we're built, we're building houses after a tornado yeah. with the same hammer. Well, well, that's a beautiful thing. You can't outlaw hammers. It does piece well into, I think there was like a transition in our zeitgeist of thought uh, into Newtonian mechanics. Mm. You know, and so coming into a place of like, like just mechanistically thinking about things yeah, and overlaying that style of thinking into mm. the, the human complex, chaotic, highly variable experience yeah, and kind of having this like, ugh, like trying to fit it in. And if you, some places mm. where you, you subconsciously inherently know it doesn't fit, but you just kind of fucking do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's the nature of that's the nature of sticking to one model and not having a whole armful of them to work with at the same time. That's right. dogma, right? Yeah. So, so when you when you're when you're attached to a single model and force everything into it, that's like the nature of dogma and totalitarianism. How has your mind changed in the realm? Like, I, I know one of the things that you've you've talked about a lot of, of uh, or you've repented a lot about is the, the fuzz, the fuzz speech. Actually, I haven't repented that much. Okay. <laughs> the, only, the only part that I repent of is the imagery that I use to support the story. Right. Yeah. Because it's all I had at the time. Can you talk about that for, I'm, I'm sure the vast majority of people, there's probably a percentage of people that are familiar with that, but probably a good chunk are like, yeah. what were you well, talking about? Fuzz? It's funny because when I did that tour in, in 2017, 
2017, I went to like 46 cities trying to explain myself out of that five-minute speech. And I found myself kind of marveling that I agreed with almost everything I said in it. But where it fell down, right, was in the notion that like the imagery that I use, like when I show one side of the sh shoulder was dissected and one side was not dissected. And it gave the impression that the dissected version of it was clear and as it should be, mm. you know, without fuzz, uh, that the undissected section had something wrong with it. Yeah. You know, well, that that was a bad choice of imagery because then people run away thinking, oh, I need to have like air between my body parts, you know, and and that's not true. Also, you know, yeah, that was that's really my main mea culpa in that is that that imagery was misleading because in the, the words, if you follow words of it, basically, I'm saying melt the fuzz. I didn't say dissect the fuzz I didn't say take your body apart, make things go away. I've heard I've heard, you know, gotten letters from people saying, oh, I love your speech. I, I, I want to make the fuzz go away. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's, a, that's part of your body. That's good stuff. That's that's it's actually slippery. And what we're looking at is perifascia that's dried and in tension. You know, so when you put it in tension and pull it apart, then in in a dissected, desiccated form, you know, it looks like what I thought I was doing as a rolfer. I thought as a rolfer, I was I was making stuff like that. I was deadhesing things, but deadhesing doesn't mean separating things that are born to live together. Deadhesing really means softening, melting, um, taking something that's sticky and making it slippery. Or maybe could it, could you say like potentiating organization? Would that be would yeah. that be a weird thing to say? No, that'd be a good thing to say. Yeah, like facil facilitating the body's propensity to differentiate texture and movement, you might say. W because when you kind of lean into something that's agglomerated, the body's like, whoa, gosh, I haven't been here in a long time. I used to actually do shit here. I used to actually move in different ways here. And I haven't moved in different ways here in 10 years. And and maybe there's a why that pops up back to memory, right? Maybe it's like, oh, gosh, I, I realize I haven't been here in 10 years because because I was afraid of this place because it hurt due to an event, you know, and so I withdrew from here and that withdrawal resulted in rather in a demagnifying of my slipperiness rather than a magnifying of my slipperiness and, and differential movement there. So if a rolfer or a body worker is doing anything, it's facilitating this differential movement where I was lost. But differential movement doesn't mean the separation of tissues. Differential movement means the, the reestablishment of the interfaces between the tissues that are that are born to slip rather than stick. So is agglomeration and the, and the, the fuzz video for people that don't know, they could, it's on YouTube, you probably just look up fuzz speech, Gil Headley, I'd imagine. You take your right Yeah, to that'll do it. That'll do it. It'll get you to some other people who've stolen it too. Oh, oh good. Um, Watch mine. Yeah. And so then the, the agglomeration. I need the likes to feel good. Exactly. I yeah, love validation. The, the agglomeration, would that be like a form of bracing in the body? And, and, and can you define what agglomeration means? Yeah, well, it could be that. So it could be bracing in a sense of like scar tissue formation to hold things together that have been broken apart somehow in an injury. But agglomeration can also just mean that place where stasis and inflammation has resulted in the body believing that it needs to be held together. So we have an inherent healer in our body. Uh, it's like a doctor, the doctor within right? So that if our skin is torn open, it'll knit back together. Whether the tear be internal or external, we have this internal propensity to rebind tissues that have been injured. Mm -hmm. Now, 
the advantage of of having like a doctor on retainer inside of our body, right, is should be obvious, right? Because we do get injured and we need we need this incredible self-healing power. The 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 downside of it though is that if without being injured, we act like we're injured, yeah. right? By holding ourselves and not moving or inducing injury through the kind of foods we ingest or the kind of beliefs that we hold or the kind of movement that we do or don't do, all of that can result in in recruiting that healer to bind our tissues together, <laughs> right? When they when that would not be that is not optimal, right? So I like to say we're like sharks, uh, that we have to keep moving to to maintain our our system because where when we stop, our internal doctor believes that's a signal to bind us. Hmm. So so I'll stand by my <laughs> testament, you know, which is we got <laughs> we got to keep we got to keep moving. Uh, and and the thing is though, if I believe myself to be you know a good a good pious Catholic young man, you know I'm going to move in a certain way, and certain things will be allowed to move, and other things will not be allowed to move, and whatever that balance is in me will become my slippery areas versus my sticky areas, right? And maybe I believe something else about myself. Maybe I believe that I'm a great samba dancer, and that will result in a completely different organization of my tissues. Maybe I think I'm a great golfer, and I, I develop my swing over and over again, and I keep doing this thing. And most of us create a pattern when we're golfing that puts it into the next fairway. But every once in a while, you get a person like Tiger Woods who's created a rut in his body that's so deep. The groove is so deep in the way that wins the game that he becomes you know, a legend in his sport for the rut that he's created in his nervous system to enable that to happen. And he pays a price for that because being slippery in that rut, he's got to be still in other places. And I guarantee he's going to pay for that as an old man. Because if he didn't create that rut, he wouldn't be winning. But also, there's a price. Talk to any, whatever, NBA basketball player about the price that they pay for, you know, the way that they use their body. Yeah. And then there are some sports that are that are intrinsically more dynamic. And you, you golf is very obviously asymmetrical right. rut. Yeah. Like, you know, but bowling, maybe bowling, golf, tennis yeah. are all very ruddy. Kind yeah. of, uh, but it's not to say that to, to be an athlete, you need to, to pay a price per se, but to be at the highest level in an asymmetrical sport, there's probably going to be something on the other side of that, especially oh, yeah. especially if you started at a young age and you specialized too early and you didn't develop that, you know, that full movement mind body mm -hmm. matrix yeah it's fine though that's that's part of that's part of the playing with the, we're allowed to spend our lives as we wish yeah right and so i i don't have any condemnation of forming a rut in your body that makes you know that enables you to do something that you want to do if that's how you choose to spend your life good on you excel there and again every choice comes with uh comes with a price yeah and the price of being very fluid in every which way like my beautiful friend russell malafont who's an unbelievable dancer modern dancer in england choreographer uh he you know russell is the most fluid human i've ever known but he'd probably suck at golf yeah, right. right. I want to take a moment and discuss one of my absolute favorite nootropic supplements from Neurohacker. It's called Neurohacker Mind. What I really love about Neurohacker Mind is I understand the ingredients on the label. I feel a tangible difference in my capacity for word recall, my ability to almost just access information like files in my brain. I don't understand how it works exactly, but it is legitimately 
impressive. I have historically had a reticence around supplements like this, um, but it's good. It's legit for me, at least. If you guys don't absolutely love it, you can get your money back, 100% money back guarantee. So you can try it for yourself, see how it works out. Just jump over to neurohacker.com and use Align during checkout to save 15% off. That's neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. Use Align code during checkout for 15% off. And per mention, if you do not notice a distinguishable difference in the way that you think, the way that you access memories, word recall, things of the sort, and then you can just get your money back. So jump over to neurohacker.com, use a line code at checkout for 15% off. Again, neurohacker spelled N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. A line code at checkout, 15% off. Pow. So I wonder within the internally connective tissue, binding, agglomerating, becoming, you know, dehydrated, mm-hmm. uh, how does is that like is there some kind of piezo electric thing going on there is there so like how does how does one describe at a, 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 a like the deeper level how that structure exactly manifests yeah so for instance you have elastin right elastin is one of the slippery components of connective tissue because of its array of electrons you know that surround it and create like a buffer is it protons electrons are surrounding the atom <laughs> one of the i'm talking about the molecule like an elastin uh, so just picture okay. a little string with with like a little cloud like a little aura around it a little energy aura <laughs> yeah. and because of that energy aura it doesn't stick to anything and consequently the effect on the tissues is that it indu- it gives it a slipperiness right but if there's inflammation the, the very nature of inflammation is a pool of protons right hmm from hydrogen. So you get end up binding the elastin and reducing the slipperiness. This is my very big, very limited understanding of this, but that basically it is a it is an electrical phenomenon, you know, at that level, or a chemical phenomenon you might call it, uh, which is just a bunch of positives and negatives messing with each other, right? So at that level, yeah, the sticking is hydrogen bonding, you know, and cross-linking of fibers that would otherwise not be cross-linked or bound to one another. And then how do you de-unbind them? How do you get that pool of protons out of there? You know, that's de-inflammation is to is to drain the pool of protons from the inflamed area. So, well, that's what the earth is for, right? So the earth is a giant, you know, at its surface, a giant pool of electrons from lightning strikes all day long, every day, all over the planet, right? If you, it, we're just like, there's this little mar- blue marble floating through space and it's, and, it, and it's being, it's like touching doorknobs all day long. And that generates a pool of electrons on the surface of the earth, which we've detached ourselves from with our brilliant footwear. Yeah, so if we make contact with that pool of electrons, it can literally crawl up into our bodies through our connective tissue, drain the points of inflammation by you know, counter counteracting the, the proton pool. That's cool. So there's, so the, the, the piezoelectric stuff, that's like... Piezoelectric is a little different from what I just described. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so that's, that's what so, I'm curious about. Because there's, if you put pressure on your butt, you're mm-hmm. sending a stimulus, you're creating like an electrical, and this is, I'm, I'm probably butchering all this, so I apologize in advance, but you're essentially creating like electrical stimulus, a charge around those bones. I'm probably saying it wrong already, right? No, it's good. So pressure electricity, piezoelectricity, this all means pressure electricity. So 
when you distort the connective tissue fabric, it produces a, a field, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and that field is the signature of the distortion at an electrical level. Yep. So that's kind of cool. And so it's like, I think about every breath that we breathe, right, as a distorting of the pleura and the peritoneum. Right. So we have these these connective tissue sacs that are piezoelectric fabrics that every breath distorts. And so the the character of each breath has a signature, a field signature that's generated in red, I would believe, by the whole body. We know how we're doing all the time uh, with respect to breath or with respect to our pulse going down the, the connective tissue sleeves of our vasculature or whether it be a pressure wave, a solenoid wave generated in the brain and moving down the neural sheath like a wave of pressure electricity signals. Some people believe that that's actually the the action potential of a nerve rather than the chemical exchange, that it's actually a, a, a pressure wave going down the axon. That's what's being measured when we say that's the action potential. It's saying, no, actually, you're measuring the, the piezoelectric wave going through the nerve generated by the brain. So it's, I think it's then whatever distortions we place on ourselves through our attempt to relate to our culture and our family and our social circumstances, our pressures, you know, in addition to gravity upon our system and much more devastating than gravity because we have levity within us to lift us up, right? The disposition of the organs relative to one another actually result in lift rather than sinking, right? That's why we, that's the marvel, marvel of the biped is we stack our organs on top of each other and feel like we're floating in the air. Um, it's a great feeling. And Rolfer who's had a successful session <laughs> delivers the stacking of the organs and that experiences lift and levity relative to the pressures Right of the of everything, the pressure, the social pressure, the the pressure of the angry spouse, the pressure of the of of the uh, of the of the bills. Right? All those pressures are distorting our field literally, hmm. and our tissues are suffering accordingly and sticking accordingly. Hmm. Yeah. So the I'm just trying to paint for my own understanding, like what the hell is happening in the body. So. There's a charge. <laughs> I'm going back to my my, my crude nod says there's there's a charge in the area, and I, I just think it's such an interesting thing that we're continually engineering ourselves through electricity and probably lots of other things, and so then it it sends the signal to these cells that we call fibroclasts or fibroblasts or osteoclasts mm-hmm. or blasts, and they're like the chewers or the builders. Yeah. So you have these little engineering cells mm-hmm. that they're gathering the information that is that you deliver to them with the schematics of your life yeah. and they come in and they either, you know, they stop chewing or they, you know, to, to allow a little bit more of a buildup in certain areas. Yeah. And, and it's just such an interesting thing that we're all a bunch of like, we're like, like a, a marble statue, except like a sentient statue. Mm. And we have these, these, these artists yeah. living inside of us, or we are the art. It's, it's very interesting. It blows I my love mind. it. I love it. And the good news from that description is is how malleable the thing is, you know, how how plastic the systems are and potentially responsive to al- altered patterns. But you can't expect to get this, a different result from the same thoughts, emotions, or behaviors. And I, I right. think, like, that brings it to ethics for me. I mean, Thomas Aquinas was like, you know, a, a habit, it, you know, isn't induced from a single act, but from the repetition of acts that, right, 
And yes. so we repeat acts all the time. We are incredibly re- redundant. <laughs> we, we think the same things over and over and over again. And then we, and we reinforce those patterns and, and they actually become meat and, and flesh and shape. They take shape in space. And, yeah. and you can think other things. Now, as people think they're a victim all the time, it's like, think something else. You, you literally can choose what you think. And people will be like, well, that's how I feel. I can't help how I feel. Actually, you can help how you feel. You can think something else and you'll feel differently. You know, so in other words, we get very attached to our emotional reactions to things and defend our emotional reactions to things without ever taking 10 seconds to inspect the constellation of thoughts that generates that belief in your victimhood in that moment. And that prevents you from asserting your own will, authority and mastery in a given moment to change the situation. We're very attached to our, our victimhood. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I, I many, would know, many, many, I, you know, are, yeah, I've, yeah, man, all of us. We, I, I don't think I'm, I'm singling folks out here. People say, but I really am a victim. I've gotten this get notes from people like, <laughs> how dare you question victimhood? I really am a victim. I'm like, well, it may be true that someone attacked you with a bat on a sidewalk and broke your whatever. And, and yeah, I'm not I'm not denying that. Yeah. But if you have to spend the next 20 years in court proving everyone around you that you're still a victim. You know, in other words, in that moment, you were victimized is true. And then what do you think of yourself after that moment forever? Yeah. You know, do you think, OK, that sucked. That was terrible. A terrible thing happened to me. And I don't like the experience at all. And I, I wouldn't wish it on the devil. And that person was wrong in doing that. And all those things are true. And now how am I going to live my life? Am I going to go forward or am I going to stop right here? Yeah seems like the, the victim, the story of victim, one, it's interesting because there's there's culturally, it seems like there's like a, a victim worshiping of sorts. You know? Oh, for sure. Victim constituencies are cultivated by politicians to generate votes. Yeah. And so I feel like at the individual level, it's like a person that would hang on to that identity. It's like they're looking for leverage. You know, they feel under leveraged. They feel like they don't have traction, you know, in, in, in coming from a place of feeling, you know, secure and then hanging on to that. And then there's the other thing I think of, of you, you do get a lot potentially from, no, I had a thought. It's a, it's a helpful tool for leverage. Mm. So to let go of that, oh yeah, it's like if I wasn't a victim, I think for me in my own experience of, of my own like dabbles with victimhood, I yeah. think it's if I wasn't a victim, then I would have to be responsible. And I don't know that I'm prepared to be responsible. Well, victimhood is associated with innocence in the victim, perpetrator, savior model of thought. Right? Victim is associated with innocence. Perpetrator is gets associated with responsibility. So no one wants to be responsible. That means you're at fault in that mentality. Right. Whereas in a, in a mentality of self-mastery, responsibility is power. Whereas responsibility is freedom, actually, because the, the problem with the innocent victim mentality is that you're powerless, you're stuck, right? You're, you're waiting for someone to save you, because if you act, then you become responsible and potentially a perpetrator. You might act wrong, and then, then you're in trouble or responsible. A whole knotted knot of thoughts that stops people from making progress in their lives, you know, when you, you can create a different set of associations with the word responsibility, you know, rather than associating responsibility with perpetration, you associate responsibility with, with freedom, with the power to act, the power to choose. 
right? And that that's 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 a whole new ride, and it's a very exhilarating one. Um, and yet, it it requires it requires dropping the attachment to the victim, perpetrator, savior model. Yeah, you, you just have to literally drop that as a as a false trope. You know, so there you hear of I have the guy's name written down someplace, but there's there's like a yogi guy or, or yogi people that can change the the temperature of individual fingers or it's this one side of their palm to like significant temperature yeah. change yeah, you know? yeah and so using using their mind there's lots of different various mm-hmm. different anecdotes of that um so yeah wet blankets sitting in the himalayas in the snow and right, steam starts coming off of them and, yeah. yeah so so has there been anything and then you know going back to what i was suggesting previously of like what is movement i would say that's certainly movement at least like thermogenic movement yeah you know which ultimately mm-hmm. is, is movement has there been any research or conjecture around that in relation to mobilizing tissue or rehydrating connective tissue or you know within the realm of fascia or is that like i have no right clue now? but why well, we've got to get ourselves some some trained monks uh, <laughs> to uh you know, to melt perifascia for us. And, yeah. And we could measure it. That would be totally cool. But I think we're all that monk. I think we all are doing it. We all have that superpower. Yeah. Again, that's another thing. Like, oh, they'll save us. They'll teach us how. No, you know how. We all do it. We do it all friggin' day long. Yeah. You know, we do we do these things. It's just a matter of, again, taking responsibility for our thoughts, our emotions and the movements that we're but you have to become conscious of. It. You have to know what you're doing. So you, can, you can't just certainly go from zero to 100. You have to be like, oh, oh, I do that. You got to know where you are. How does a person start to know where they are? Well, rather than blaming someone else <laughs> for the way you're feeling in any given moment. Right. You can say, oh, I feel prickly and hot and pretty cranky at the moment. <laughs> I wonder what that's about. How interesting. What am I thinking? What What do I believe to be true in this moment? Right. Oh, I believe that that other person is a douchebag. <laughs> Clearly, everyone would agree with that. Now, it's like, hmm, maybe it's my relationship or my set of beliefs around what's happening here that puts them in that category, hmm. you know, and and that I'm, do, I'm doing something here, too. I'm actually an agent of my experience and not a victim of it. You know, so, okay, if I'm an agent of my experience, then what are my other options here? Because Moshe Feldenkrais said one option is tyranny, two is a dilemma, and three is a choice. So I have to become a conscious uh, option generator in the moment and pick the one that actually isn't so distressing. Yeah. And run with that experience over and over again. And it's like, oh, well, I've, I've, you see patterns. You have to become a pattern tracker. And you observe patterns in your life. And you're like, oh, why does this always happen to me? Like, oh, I'm, I'm experiencing the 14th iteration of this in the last two years. What, where is my responsibility in generating this pattern? Because I, all I can do is break my patterns. But if I break my patterns, then the whole world is, is changed. Hmm. You know, all the all the all the nexus of interactions is altered when I'm willing to take responsibility for my agency in a given moment, for my beliefs and feelings in a given moment, which are can become choices picked from multiple options that aren't the the tyranny of my own structure. Yeah, it's a great place to to wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for doing this again, man. Woohoo! I really appreciate it. Every three you. or four years, I yeah. get an email. <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
<laughs> I really do truly appreciate you in general and making time to do this and all the the, the contribution to the, the world of this conversation and people's health and well-being from not just a physical but also a mental emotional I think you are an incredibly important human being in this just in the planet in general I really appreciate you you're very uh, kind thank you yeah so you have if people want to learn more about this stuff through the lens of actual anatomy fascia, connective tissue, muscles, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Where could people go from here? You can even misspell my name on Google <laughs> and find me. So gilhedley.com, G-I-L-H-E-D-L-E-Y.com, gilhedley.com. And you have so a- I have free stuff there. You, I think I must have how many hours now of free stuff on my site? I think just a ridiculous amount of free stuff if you want right. to do the Easy Rider free membership and that'll hold you for a long while. And for those oh. folks who are really wanting to geek out i have my uh explorer subscription now <clears throat> which uh, in, in which i included all of my writings all, all my books all my articles 130 hours so far of very good quality dissection video plus free credit if you need it for nctmb or what have you amazing well thank you thank you thank you i uh look forward to the next conversation in one and a half to two and a half years or whatever if you have something coming up i'm always happy to have you on i really enjoy these conversations and me too aaron Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, That's it. That's all. Over now. Hope you guys dug that conversation. I want to invite you guys to check out the uh, YouTube channel. We are absolutely crushing it over there. The Knees Over Toes Guy video has like close to 100,000 views. Uh, it's really cool to get to see you guys enjoying that. The last video with Rafael Lovato Jr. was freaking awesome. It takes us through an amazing movement flow. And he is, I mean, literally like one of the world's most legendary preeminent martial artists, like a true martial artist. So it was really cool opportunity to get to share his mind and his movement with you guys. So that's over at Align Podcast on YouTube. That is it. That is all. Thank you guys once again for subscribing to this. Thank you for reviews wherever you're listening to this. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for implementing the information. I hope it is supportive. Feel free to tag me at Align Podcast if there's any parts of this that you'd like. I always enjoy resharing people's clips. Thanks again. Appreciate y'all. See you next week.